Hello, and welcome to this episode of Surety Today. Surety Today is a live monthly call-in podcast presented by the Surety and Fidelity Law Group at Wright, Constable, and Skeen, located in the Mid-Atlantic region. Surety Today is offered to surety claims professionals and is designed to keep you informed about important issues in the industry. Here is your host, Michael Stover. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Surety Today. My name is Mike Stover, and I'm a partner in the Surety and Fidelity Law Group here at Wright Constable and Skeen in Baltimore, Maryland. And today, I'm joined by my special guest, Mr. Dennis O'Neill, president of Beacon Consulting Group. Uh, And I'll say more about Dennis in a moment. As always, we uh, we like to open up our episodes with a big thank you to everyone for your support of Surety Today. We ask that you pass along our contact information to any colleagues who you think may be interested in calling in or checking out one of our podcasts. Remember, uh, you can listen to any one or all of our prior 57 episodes of Surety Today anytime, anywhere from one of our uh, multiple platforms on the uh, Surety Today page on our website at wcslaw.com as a podcast at Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean. Just search for Surety Today and on our microsite at suretytoday.net. So we've had over 4,303 downloads of our podcast since we started posting this podcast. As always, we've uh, muted the line during the presentation to avoid any background noise. We'll unmute the line at the end for any questions. Today we'll be talking about construction technology and some of the hottest trends in the industry, such as the use of drones, building information modeling, or BIM building scanning, robotics, and autonomous machinery. We'll discuss the benefits, the pitfalls, and how these technologies will affect the surety professional as it adjusts the performance and payment bond claims. So my guest is the very well-known in the surety industry. Dennis is a a true leader in the construction and surety consulting profession. Prior to, to founding Beacon, Dennis managed the New York regional office for a large construction services consulting firm Since opening uh, Beacon's first office in 2003, Dennis has built the company's operations to include offices in New York, Massachusetts, and uh, California. Under his leadership, Beacon now works on a diverse range of construction consulting assignments across the U.S. and Canada. Beacon's clients include some of the world's leading surety and insurance companies, but also includes well-known banks, government agencies, private developers, law firms, and construction companies. Dennis has over 25 years of construction consulting expertise related to complex surety claims and dispute resolution matters. He specializes in assessing conditions associated with troubled or problem construction projects and recommending and implementing corrective actions to successfully complete such projects. His experience managing and consulting on construction projects ranges from from small 100,000 to more than 100 million. His experience includes construction management and consulting on transit projects, schools, courthouses, dormitories, stadiums, police barracks, tunnels, bridges, commercial buildings, residential developments, hospitals, and hotels. So as I said today, we're going to talk about construction technology. And uh, Dennis, let's start off with drones. Why don't you give us an overview of the drone technology and the use in construction? Yeah, sure. Mike, thanks. Um, hello, everyone. And uh, Mike, thanks for that great introduction. I really appreciate it. Um, it's interesting. I've, I've talked about construction technology at the Perlman back in 2019. 
think down in Atlanta and Chicago, these different luncheons, all this was like pre-COVID. And we talked about some of the, some of the wild stuff happening, some of the interesting things happening in the construction industry. And as we all know, uh, the construction is a very funny business when it comes to technology, uh, very slow to adapt, you know. And even all of us, and I don't know if you guys are the same as me, but uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, although we, we were pretty good with some, you know, working remotely, collaboratively, using different types of software, things like that, I was still running to some of the younger guys in the office to kind of coach me through Teams or Zoom and all that. And I think for a lot of us now, it's kind of second nature, you know. And Mike, I'm not sure how I was in your office with you guys working through the remote uh, workforce, but uh, you know, definitely everyone has a little bit of bumps in the road, as anything. Yeah, well, what, but this, it was it was it was a, a real transition for us because you know we would go into courthouses and have hearings or motions or trials, and now we're doing that all from you know anywhere from our homes from from our offices. It's been it's been quite a change, and we we adapted pretty seamlessly to uh, to that technology. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. And I'm sure everyone here on the call has been now, uh, these progress meetings where we'd be flying to different parts of the country to attend, or different, whether it be principal indemnity meetings or, or, or just regular uh, you know, status meetings. We've done so many of these remote over the past year, and we've really shown kind of where we can go in the technology field uh, when we have to. And that's what the pandemic's really shown us here. Um, so getting back to our industry, the construction industry, we know that it's been, over the years, very slow to adapt. Um, back in, say, in college, I was doing 3D modeling. Uh, we started out doing a drafting, I'll call it a drafting class, the simplest form. But we were already doing 3D modeling back then. And then I graduate, and I get out in the field, I start working for a general contractor uh, in Boston, and they're doing, uh, I'm getting hand drawings. I mean, some drawings would have been computerized, but you start doing the collaborative work, with the different trades, and uh, the HVAC guys handed me, a, you know, an overlay of a handwritten drawing. The plumber then had to take that drawing, handwrite on top of that. Uh, the electrician then had to handwrite on top of that. And as we know, having this many players involved, massive breakdowns can take place. So it's just kind of interesting how the growth in technology, uh, the construction was kind of basically, sorry, was basically behind in the adaptation of some of this growth in technology that we're seeing. But so be it. So you look at that and you're like, well, what's the reason for that, you know? Um, and you know, one thing is, you know, our industry, kind of a low barrier to entry industry, we've all seen like, you know, the guy who's a painter and he's a great painter. And uh, all of a sudden they've taken that company, whether they get confident themselves or underwriters get confident and they become a general contractor and they grow into it. Um, and we've seen so many companies where they've grown from the successful laborer and they've grown into like have these, you know, $100 million companies. And a lot of these companies, you know, in our industry have been family run. Um, and with that comes, Mike, would you say some of these family business, have you dealt with any stubborn principles before? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And, 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 and a lot of times too, the transition from the original, uh, you know, owner, the one that sort of built the company to the next generation, there's a lot of, a lot of friction there and a lot of opportunity for stumbling. Big time, you know, so, so, so with that, you know, definitely, kind of how they've kind of come up in the business and their strength and their and who they are. Um, some of the things that just happened around them kind of forced change in the industry. So I just want to back up a second and just talk about some of the stats. And you guys may have heard this in some of the other uh, publications in the industry. But if you look at the industry, um, we're about 15% of the global GDP right now. 
breaking it down for the U.S. are about just over 4%. And when you put that into numbers, it's about $1.3 trillion uh, in the U.S. in construction is what we're doing. Um, Mike, any guess just in New York City alone how much work we did last year? Oh, man, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd be embarrassed. I'm to putting you on the spot, man. Yeah. <laughs> we well, did $79 billion last year. Yeah. $79 billion. So serious dollars are running through. And again, getting back to our, our contractors, you know, there's a lot of family-run businesses out there. But, you know, it's the market has just grown and grown and grown. Throwing out a few more numbers at you, right? The workforce is about 11.1 million, <clears throat> million construction workers in the industry. And the unemployment rate pre-COVID shrunk down to like less than 4%, which is remarkable. Um, and here's one for you. The average age of the construction worker. Mike, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with 40. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Average age of the construction worker, 42 years old. So, I mean, looking at that, as we all know, I'm 50, just turned 50. I just had my hip replaced. Um, you know, when you're a worker out there in the field, it's tough to keep it going. You know, there's a lot of wear and tear going on in the body. Um, even me behind the computer day in, day out, the wear and tear in the body. So, you know, the average age being 42 and not attracting the young workers into the field is definitely having an impact on our industry right now. Um, right now, I got, here's another one for you. 10% of the workforce is under 25 years old. Um, attracting females into the industry, we only have, we have under, under 10%, actually under 9%, 8.9% in female right now. It's not growing quick enough. So there's growth, but not, but not quick enough. And if you talk to companies, and I'm sure we've all had these, these conversations with our principals, whether they're in claim situation or just kind of doing a status with them, but a lot of them will complain about a labor shortage, both in the field and in the management side of things. Now, couple that yeah. with pricing. I was yeah, go ahead, Mike. Dennis, yeah, I was hearing that, uh, and, and this was from a staffing guy, that that with the unemployment benefits that Congress has been doling out, that, that they were having trouble getting people showing up because they could make more by staying home than, than going out and getting on a job. Have you run into that? We have run into that. We have a job going in Pennsylvania right now, and that's exactly the answer that I'm hearing from the contractor. You know, the people were, uh, they just couldn't get them because of that. Very interesting. Now, a couple of that, I don't know if you guys have seen uh, some of the material pricing out there. It's now, even, even before COVID, pricing was you know, on a trajectory, it was going up and what have you. Um, residentially speaking, I was just speaking to one of my buddies the other day. He was talking about, he's a residential contractor. He was, you know, the, the lumber prices, if you're building a deck on the back of your house, has gone up. Now, in the, in the commercial side, we've seen it with steel, we've seen it with lumber. Um, it's just the, the prices are going through the roof, some of the material prices. Um, all right, here's one for you, Mike. Construction companies, they can make it after five years. What percent do you think? Survival rate. After how many? Five? Five. I would say probably 50%. Oh, wow. You're, you're a positive guy. 36.4%. <laughs> is what they say right now, you know? Yeah, so it's crazy. So, I mean, so if you think of this, <clears throat> the labor shortage, um, average age of, the, of the, the labor being 42, not attracting enough women in the industry, not attracting the young people, um, 
I bet Tom Brady though, he's 42, 43, right? He's still uh, he's still producing pretty good. Maybe we got to get him in the construction industry. But you look at that coupled with the I had to throw that in there. You couple that with the material prices going up, the survival rate of not having good systems with the construction companies, um, you know, it's just screaming out for for action, you know, in, tech, in technology. Uh, so kind of what I talked about back at the Perlman in 2019 um, and some of these other luncheons that, you know, that the industry is just, you know, kind of started off slow in the 90s and early 2000s. And within this past decade, we were on a trajectory, really increasing some of our technology, what was going on out there. So then you look at, then all of a sudden, bam, COVID hits, right? Um, and it's like, what's going to happen now, you know? Um, but the interesting thing, and this is, this is interesting to know, and I'm just kind of going over this over the past couple of weeks, uh, just from doing some research for this. They're saying that we experienced three years of growth in the past year because we had to. Basically, this pandemic kind of forced us in to be, be more collaborative, use some of these more remote resources in our industry. So, so long and short, they're here to stay, you know, and, and for that matter, over the next decade coming, it's only going to get better and better as we kind of move on here. So, excuse me, real, real cool stuff going on. Um, I don't know, did it, Mike, did you see 60 Minutes last night? No, I did not. So it's pretty cool. So they've done a couple of really good pieces recently, but, but last night um, on 60 Minutes, they, they were showing, they were talking about the vaccines, of course, and, and, and COVID and what have you. And they were saying that how the drug companies, you know, they were, they were basically forced into kind of, you know, let, let's go, let's, let's pull our stocks up and get going here and getting a vaccine out here to the people. And they did it, you know, and, um, we got these things going. Similarly, on the construction side of things, we and other industries for that matter, we were forced into it. We kind of had to, you know, get out there and, and really get these collaborative um, processes out there. So, anyways, that's kind of just a rough introduction of kind of where, where I'm going here, and I'll jump into some of, some of the items. And and Mike, I'll start with um, just before I get to drones, I just want to hit the collaborative software first. And, and we've all heard of some of these names out there: uh, Procore, Sage, eBuilder. These are all project management softwares. And one thing with the construction industry, I feel that, you know, we've been at, we were ahead of the, we were quiet in the 90s and early 2000s. But then over the past bit, we, we, we got really good with some of these software. And, you know, used to be Expedition before, then it kind of went into Sage, and then it went into Procore. Procore and eBuilder seem to be some of the big ones out there right now. And what we used to find in the past is that, that some contractors were great at it and great at adapting to it. We had the technology and they would, so let me just back up a second. So these software project management softwares, so they use it to hold your daily logs, submittals, RFIs, subcontracts, change orders, progress reports, schedules. It's, it's your document control software and, and they're a great tool that's out there. But some contracts you go into and you know, the, the, you heard this a million times, it's junk in, junk out. Some may have the platform, but they wouldn't use it. Um, and others would, were great, you know, depending upon who you might have got within a firm. Now companies kind of had to do it with, with COVID and be a little more um, collaborative with these softwares. And they really got their people trained up over the past year. And more and more people are using it. And now we're finding it more accurate. And we're going in to kind of work with these contractors on a lot of different different um, places. So a lot of people are saying like with the shelter in place, you know, it had to grow. Um, employees had to adapt. Um, and right now it's between, say, the field kind of out there. You can walk the site right now with some of these 
uh, software. You can take a picture, it'll zap right into your daily log, and you can zap that right back to the superintendent who has his iPad out there, can take that information and can zap right back to um, the field office or even the home office and just kind of sharing this information. And then we have other stakeholders that are also involved in the software, whether it be the designer, the owners, the subs, suppliers. So they're a great multi-user platform for sharing this information with the goal being make, having this information and making some uh, real-time decisions can kind of avoid any kind of rework, avoid schedule delays and budget busts. But it was, believe it or not, over the past year, it was, it was, it was great for the industry. And, and Mike, I don't know if you saw this, but what we ran into a lot was uh, split in management teams. So we had a big hospital project going on. It was like half a billion dollars. And, and, and the way they ran at the management team because of COVID over the past year was they split the team in two. So team A would work from their home this week. Team B would be on the site just in case there was an outbreak. Um, the jobs could keep going. And, and the interesting thing about construction, as we all know, uh, they deemed it to be essential for the most part. And our, our jobs kept going. Um, you know, back this time last year, I think we were all in a little flux of what was going to happen. But other than you know, a week here, a week there, or a day here and there, we, the jobs kept kept rolling. And, and some of the uh, some of the ways the construction teams ran them was was, in, was just a, a credit to them how they kept these these jobs going. Number one, I think we were already ahead of the curve construction in general in safety and kind of when it, this, came, this issue came up, they adapted. You know, they started taking temperatures. Some of the bigger jobs had a nurse on site that would take temperatures and log everyone in. Um, even the smaller jobs, they did a great job of kind of, you know, just, just you know, testing, having requirements, whether it be a questionnaire, things like that. Owners did the same thing. If you walked on to West Point, these other places, you know, they had that going. So it really helped kind of keep the teams going. Anyways, the collaborative software world, two things happened. Number one, I think the product got a little better. Procore made advances. In fact, I think Procore had an IPO this past year. And um, but they're, they're really going to hit it, I think, in the next decade as well, is what it appears to happen. Um, and then <clears throat> just really, really helped them move along. So then you look at some of the benefits and pitfalls there. Obviously, tons of benefits having the collaborative information uh, from the software. And now we have users that are using it, even though we had the platforms before. However, as always, you know, that, that junk in, junk out, um, we got to be cognizant of when we go in to look at these and test these software, and we go in to kind of do our due diligence and see where things are happening out there. One, another thing we've noticed, Mike, and I hope you've noticed this as well, is our contractors are using the software to kind of manage it. But, and um, oftentimes you had it used at some of the public authorities as well. But I'm finding the public authorities also got a lot better at using it over this past year. I have a job at the DEP up in New York right now, and they've, they've, been, they've been on steroids with this, kind of using some of these platforms, which has been great. So just, just a note here, and I was going to do this at the end, but I might take it per each one of these uh, uh, technology items. So just some of the, the, the impact on the surety industry. And, you know, so the people on, on the call here, you know, we used to having document requests and, you know, we asked for certain things, whether it be in a default or a payment bond claim situation, and we asked for certain documents. I, I think one of the things we want to be doing is, is asking for access to the platform, to actually, whether it's Procore, eBuilder, whatever it might be. There's a lot of great information that you can find, historical information, real-time information. 
in these platforms. And that should be kind of part of our due diligence, our document request going into here. Um, Mike, do you often see that? Are you, are you, like, say, on the litigation side or even just the due diligence, like getting into or getting access to the database for, say, Procore, eBuilder, Sage? Yeah, I think we run into we run into a lot of roadblocks. They don't want you in that system. You know, they'll 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 produce documents out of it, but they they try to um, keep the lawyers at least out of it. The consultants, when they're when they're on the site, they can get access to it, but um, but the once you get the lawyer level, there's not a whole lot of cooperation for that. Yeah, we we had an interesting one where uh, an owner defaulted a principal. The principal was the one that maintained the Procore system. Now they defaulted him, and he was like, "No, I'm not giving the to the owner. I'm not giving the information in this." They'd work with us and give us select information, but they wouldn't give us access to the database. Um, but they, and they definitely wouldn't give the owner any access to the database. And typically, just for everyone on the call, the way these databases work is, you know, there's a uh, there's an owner of the information. In this case, the the contractor principal. And then they would give certain levels of access to different different levels, whether it be the architect or the owner, to do certain things. Whether it be they, you can submit a submittal through it, and they can approve the submittal back, but they couldn't use all parts of the platform. Well, in this case, the principal didn't want the owner having this access at all, and so that was a big negotiation back and forth. We ended up getting that principal back on board, back on site, the default overturned, but it ended up being like a big negotiation uh, point, kind of working with that. So, so kind of just moving on, um, the next thing I was, I was going to hit drones next. So along with drones, I want to talk about cameras in general, site cameras. This we've seen a huge uptick over the past year, and, and, and they're a great benefit, I think, to any job. And we've seen them, we've seen them pre-COVID, but we saw more and more uh, pre-COVID, or, or sorry, since, since COVID uh, happened. Mike, do you have any of those uh, ring doorbells at your house? No. So the ring doorbell, you guys, some of you guys probably have it on the phone here, right? So the ring, you, uh, you know, someone's, the, you know, the Amazon delivery guy is delivering a package to the front of your house. You can kind of see on your phone. Just go right, it kind of zaps your phone. You'll get a little notification, and you'll see Amazon guy dropping off your package. Also, you could see if, you know, some thug is stealing the package off your porch. Same thing, it's going to zap you a notification right to your phone. Well, they have these site cameras right now, and, and, and the cost of them are real low. But sometimes they're still, and you can mount them to, like, say, a telephone pole or something of that effect. Um, and you can just, it'll take stills, like, every 15 minutes. You can set it to whatever you want. And then anytime there's movement, it'll take video. And there's all sorts of different settings that, that you can use on this. But this has been a huge adaptation in in it's, it, the technology's been around, but, it's, but for the, the price, and it's, it's relatively inexpensive. Um, usually it's an entry fee and then like a monitoring cost type of thing. But it's been real helpful just on, for the contractors to kind of, and the home office in particular, or the people that might not be on site full time, to kind of see what's going on at the site. Now us, um, from surety professionals, and, and we've had some good success with these, both pre-COVID and post-COVID with some of these cameras, um, payment bond claims. I had a site contractor, you know, principal's down and out contractor, but then there was a subcontractor to them, a site contractor. 
who alleges that, you know, we worked these 10 days, I had four guys, I had four or five pieces of machinery, and I got a claim for X amount. But when you go back to the camera, um, anyway, he produced some, some daily logs only signed by him that, that say what he had. When we went back to the camera footage, uh, we could clearly see that he didn't work all those days, they didn't have that many people out there, and they didn't have all that equipment out there. So it's really a useful uh, tool to have out there, and that's something to consider as well to the surety professionals if, if they aren't taking over a job. And if it's a one location type job, like for instance, uh, like, like, like a bridge renovation or, or a dam renovation or, or something of that effect where a 360 camera could catch the whole job site, or sometimes you want to mount a couple of cameras, you could. But it's a really, really good tool for that, to kind of have that. Um, and we'll see, again, we saw more and more of those over the past year. So now to drones. So we, we've, um, it's interesting, the drones, drones have really picked up, and, and here's a stat for you. So they had 250% growth um, in 2019. I didn't get the 20 stat, but just in 19 alone, there was 250% growth. And by 2023, they were accepting the growth to triple. Um, however, we did have substantial growth with them last year as well, um, just for everything going on with that. So just for everyone's knowledge, the drone at the simplest form, um, and I don't know if you guys, you know, for the holidays, you know, any of you, you got one for your kids, but, you know, you, the drone goes up in the air and it can fly around. And then there's all sorts of things you can do. You can some come with a camera and you could attach and drive it around and take pictures. Some come with other attachments that they can do the drone. Well, now kind of jump that up a step in the commercial world where the drone aid the drone is better how they operate um, we can attach the camera we can attach a building scanner so the simplest form they're being used a lot for um, project status you know kind of do a flyover of a job site you could cover 40 acres um, kind of see what's going on on the site uh, within you know minutes uh, compared to what it would take someone who physically had to go check the status on all that. Um, access has been a huge um, benefit to the, to the drones. Um, right now, like you, you, could, you could have an area that's just tough to get to. We have a job site in New York City right now where to, to act, we're doing a facade renovation and the designer has to, along with having, this is quantity project, so we're not sure how much, it's an existing building, housing authority project, and we're not, we have estimates of what it might take to renovate the facade of the building, brick facade. Several, you know, this is like kind of 15 stories high, this building. So the designer wants to get up on the scaffold thing and see, you know, you know, inspect every single elevation at every floor level to see what has to be replaced. And fair enough. But to do that, they have to get out to the site, number one. They have to get on the scaffold thing, number two, and they have to walk every single area. Well, number one, it's COVID. They don't want to get on the site. They don't want to come out to the site. Two, in New York City and a lot of other municipalities, you have to have a, a safety scaffolding certification to even step foot near that scaffolding. Um, it's not allowed on. And three, the time it takes the person to do it. So right now with drones, you can have that drone. First of all, you don't have the scaffolding up for the inspection, but you can have the drone fly up and down. It can take accurate reading of exactly how that facade works, you know, with, with, with some very uh, high, 
caliber pictures taken of kind of what, what the status of that facade is. And we can see what it takes. And that information could, can go right back to the designer's office. And it can be overlaid on the plans, the elevation of the plans, and they can see what they have to do with that. So it's really cool. It kind of saves both in time and money, um, kind of getting that information out there. A lot of times the drones are used in pre-construction. Um, they're being used when they do flyovers and they can take um, a survey of, say, a mound, you know, of how much work got completed, whether it be massive site jobs, if you're checking how much asphalt you did or how much concrete got placed in or how much dirt was moved. You know, they can take, just like a, some survey equipment could do, the drones can have attachments that can take all that. And we can kind of come up with quantities that can play right into payment applications and they're, undispu they're indisputable because it's a, it's a survey. So it's really cool. And obviously they're safe. We can put the drone in places where the workers don't have to go with that. So that's really cool. Um, some of the pitfalls though with that, and, and, and you might hear, so a lot, a lot of benefits to the drones, of course, but the pitfalls, they are regulated by the FAA now. And uh, once in a while, you know, you hear the crazy stories Usually the crazy stories start in Florida or Texas and they move somewhere else around the country. But you'll hear like, you know, the drone flew into something or what have you. But it is regulated by the FAA right now. And um, to operate one of the drones, you, know, you have to be a pilot now, a commercial drone. And believe it or not, we still have issues with the battery life of some of these drones, which that sounds like something that we should be able to fix. And weather conditions, which we really can't fix Mother Nature, but the technology is improving with some of these drones right now. Um, and again, it kind of in, in regard to the impact with the surety industry, and Mike, I'm not sure if you've had any experience with this with the payment bond claims or um, with the drones, but similar to that example I gave of the still camera at the job site, seeing when, when the workers worked, when you have the drone, you can uh, do periodic inspections, it can really help in adjusting some of these, these claims that kind of come in. So it's great. So it's great for the industry, long and short. Yeah. One of the things I would point out, though, for, for the surety folks to be careful of is that the CGL policies that, that everyone would rely on may not cover drone usage because a lot of the policies have exclusions for, for the use of aircraft. And then there have been some court decisions that, that, have, that have held that a drone is an aircraft for purposes of the exclusion. And so, you know, you got to be careful that, that if you're using drone services that that the operator or, or yourself, uh, you've got the proper insurance coverage. Yeah, that's a great point, Mike, great point. And even um, a lot of the shops that are using the drones, sometimes it's third party, sometimes it's, it's the individual shops themselves. Like I know we have uh, one, drone pilot in our, one drone pilot in our shop. But yeah, you have to make sure that your insurance covers that as well with that. And you know, it all comes down to their training as well. It's gonna play into the insurance premiums. So here's one for you, kind of moving on, um, robotics, automated machinery. How about, Mike, how about this? Do you have one of those Rumbas at your house? No. We're pretty low-tech you know in my house. Is? We don't have the ring. We don't have the Rumba. <laughs> I, I got kids. I got lots right, of kids. Man. We put groups in their hands. <laughs> <laughs> We got the rumba. It's pretty good. You know, it's not ideal, but it, it gets the job done. For those of you who don't know the rumba, you know, it's the, it's the vacuum. It has this docking station. You can kind of go around the room. And, and uh, 
and kind of take care of your vacuum cleaner. It does it, you know, it'll sweep up your hardwood floors, it'll do some of your carpets. Well, take that technology now, and, and it's, it's growing leaps and bounds in the construction industry, and it's going to be really interesting to see where this technology goes over the next, um, over the next decade. The, the goal of it here is to take the simple, repetitive labor tasks, the intense labor tasks, even better, and, and kind of try to uh, have the robots do it. So it's some awesome, at the, at the Perlman conference back in 2019, we had a video of a robot laying bricks. And, you know, obviously it has to get set up by a human and, and some GPS coordinates set and what have you, and um, it sets it. You know, we've been seeing this, these robots, you could call them, assembly lines at car manufacturers for a very long time. Um, and now we're starting to really uh, use these or kind of definitely explore them in the construction industry. And you see the ones that they're referencing now for robots, they're talking about masonry, drywall, tie and rebar, welding, and then any kind of prefab work. Um, and there's going to be more and more modular prefab work happening over this ne next decade as well that we're going to see. And the nice thing about the prefab work is now you're building in a controlled environment, you know, whether it be, you know, panels for a facade or, uh, you know, any of these kind of structures like that. So it's really, it's really remarkable what they're going to do, we believe, with that. Um, all right, I'm going back to 60 Minutes, Mike. Did you see it two weeks ago? Nope. And I don't work for 60 Minutes by any means, you know, and I don't even watch it that much, but recently I have watched it a couple times. But they had a cool one, and, and I really encourage you guys to look it up, and I can send the link out. They did a piece on Spot the Dog, uh, and Spot the Dog was developed by Boston Dynamics. And I don't want to sound like Matt Damon and, and Ben Affleck where everything comes back to Boston, right? But it just happens to be Boston Dynamics um, robotics firm up, up in the Boston area. And um, it, they, they, they're doing cool things with just robots in general. And it's interesting because they have some public funding, but they have a ton of private equity that's being pumped into them to kind of develop some of these robots. And it's really a cool piece to see, the 60 Minutes piece. And again, I can send it out to, to people of how they're using the robots and what they're trying to make the robots do. Um, and they're really trying to mimic, I mean, obviously there's a military use form, send them into dangerous situations. You know, the local bomb squads and things like that can use these types of things. So they did a piece um, and they showed Hensel Phelps on it and they were showing uh, Spot the Dog. So what it is, it's a little robot the size of like a small dog. And, um, you know, completely can, you can control it by GPS. Um, you can control it by remote control, and they sent it around a job site, and it takes pictures, it takes video, um, and you have other attachments that you could put on to spot the dog, and whether it be a building scanner to kind of see where things are, so you can compare the asphalt to the um, the asphalt to the actual plans to see where it lands, and you can also set up spot the dog to to a repetitive route, say every single day or every week, whatever it might be. So it would leave its docking station like your Rumba, and once you know it's it's programmed in, it could walk. It's you know it could walk every floor of the building. It walks up and down stairs um, to get to certain areas. It could take repetitive pictures of the same area over time to see where it's going, and it was really good. So they had Hensel Phelps was using it on on one of their particular job sites. I thought it was a pretty cool piece that was done. Um, yeah, so that was uh, that was that was kind of neat, you know. And, and just in regards to say the I think the cost of the drone usage and the 
and the cameras and stuff like that is really cost effective compared to having a, a person uh, or, 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 you know, multiple people trying to perform the same function. Yeah, Mike, that's a great point. I mean, the, like say, just rewinding back a little bit, right? So the camera use on a job site, very inexpensive. Someone actually, Jim Bruno, my office, just looked up the pricing on that recently for a job site. It was real. I don't have the exact numbers, but it was very reasonable. Um, what the camera was, drone use as well, you know, very reasonable price. And you can hire in a third party to do it as well. And it's not too bad. And since you brought up price, spot the dog, because they asked him that, and it was Anderson Cooper doing the interview, 75 grand for spot the dog. And if you see what spot the dog can do, it's not that bad, I don't think, for 75 grand. And you can put different attachments on them, whether it's a camera or a, a, a building scanner and that type of thing. So it's pretty cool. Sorry, Mike, you want to say something? Yeah, is that the cost to own that, or is that a, a, a rental usage cost? That's the cost to own it, $75,000. Okay. There is, but it. along with that, there is different, like the components, like say the camera, the video camera, the building scanner, would go into the attachment on them. So you control the robot with the GPS, 75 grand, but then whatever attachment, the camera, video camera, you know, or a uh, uh, scanner would be like an extra cost on top of that. And you could put your own system on there. It has like a compartment to hold that, whatever that might be. So, so speaking of collaboration, you're using like say a spot the dog with some other software that you could use to kind of, you know, incorporate a building scanner against the, against the, the plan drawings type of thing, which is pretty neat. So, Needless to say, I mean, tons of benefits with having something like that. And the Hensel Phelps, it was funny, they're interviewing, I'll call him, the person was like the project engineer. And typically, you know, you send the project engineer out, hey, go take pictures around the building, get me some status of this particular area, that particular area. So the person was like, now I don't have to walk around the building and take all these pictures. Um, so it saves a ton of time. You can have that done, and then you can incorporate it right into your software. I'm sure once you have it set up, it would dump right into like a project status report, and it would show, you know, how each area of the building looks or some particular system that you might be monitoring, whatever it might be with that, which is really cool. Um, also, just, just talking the robots, um, you know, we're talking about the average age being 42 of the construction worker. Clearly, just going back to some of the, the you know, whether it's a rebar or hanging drywall or, or sorry, tying rebar or hanging drywall or doing the masonry, although you might have to have someone who's like the robot wrangler, it's still going to save on just extending people's careers, extending, obviously, without the wear and tear, because just regular construction on their bodies. So it's really kind of a cool function. Like anything, new technology, um, and again, the cost, the barrier to cost doesn't seem too, too bad right now. But obviously, training, um, getting out there and making sure, just getting people to adapt to technology is, is the biggest sociological effect we've got to get over. Um, so, so think of this, and I wonder if we'll be talking about this 10 years from now five years from now, you know, the underwriters are underwriting a business and, and they'll be asking their contractors, oh, what do you have for robots, you know? What do you do? So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. We're, we're, uh, we're running out of time. Dennis, uh, we got we to gotta wrap up. Are you, can you do uh, BIM or building scanning real quick? Yeah, I'll, I'll just touch on BIM. And, and, and um, you know, I kind of say BIM for last because I've talked about this a lot. And I don't know who's, who's heard me talk about BIM before or not, but I'll try to make this real quick. But BIM's awesome. It's an awesome function. It's being used more and more. It's getting put right into the spec of these drawings. 
Um, but most big projects have a BIM component to them 100%, and, and it's a great tool. So basically, it's, it's 3D modeling of your project with both physical and functional characteristics. So what I mean by that is 3D model. So ideally, when it's done right, and even on the design side, because they make you build it to certain levels of development, uh, and it's run by the AIA, these different levels of development. But usually you get a, a model that's like a, three, a, a level 300. And in theory, that's going to be what we call a no-hit model. And these are getting better and better as time goes on. When I'm, when I'm bidding a no-hit model, a level 300 model, um, I'll know exactly how much HV, if I'm the HVAC guy, I'm going to know exactly how much HVAC duct work I'm going to need. I'm going to know exactly how much pipe work I'm going to need. I'm going to know, you know exactly how many units and what have you. So it's going to be really help on, say, the estimating side. Secondly, from the owner's perspective, it should really help a lot on, and it's getting better and better, the technology's there. It's really going to help a lot just on conflicts. So we call it hits. So when you get a level 300 model uh, in the design phase, when the designers are all collaborating together, um, you should get a no-hit model. Um, you know, so the only thing, things could change, if, if you do put it, you're still going to have additions onto a building or some sort of functional changes. But in theory, the design model should not change much, you know, once you, once you have this done. So it's really a cool, um, and I, I'd almost call this the nucleus of some of the technology going on right now. Coupled with the BIM, and let's put the BIM and the drones together, you have a BIM model, and you can also use some of the building scanning, um, a scanner you may put on a drone to kind of take a picture of the building, and then you can compare the as-built to the BIM model and kind of overlay them and see how they look together. And this, we're, we're there, like we're there with this technology to use that type of technology. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. So uh, yeah, so, so that's one, and I think for the, just the, the implications on the surety industry, from the underwriting side, you know, knowing the size of these jobs, is it a BIM job, and knowing what our contractors, whether it's a contractor or a subcontractor has for BIM capabilities, and they're not all gonna have BIM capabilities, but there is third parties that can help them out. In, in you know doing their portion of BIM and their portion of the model, their portion of coordination, which is a must on the underwriting side. We've seen a lot of disputes, even with BIM, over coordination and say a subcontractor not participating, or the sub alleging that the GC is not participating or didn't didn't manage the BIM model well. So we're going to see those kind of fights going forward. So from the underwriting side, it's something to really kind of hone in on, and we've seen that claim on the SDI side as well. Um, from the payment bond claim side we can see at what time the contractor knew certain information and how that plays into a potential change or payment bond claim, which is pretty cool. And on the performance side, um, say a contractor does default, if you do have the BIM model, you know, I could have a 3D model of exactly where the job stood at that point in time, um, which is great. So, yeah, we, yeah that's a quick to rundown. Point, we, yeah, to your point, we had that problem where the where the subcontractor really didn't have the, the capabilities to, to do the BIM updating and conflict uh, coordination work. And, you know, before the job even really got out of the ground, we were in there, you know, on a default, having to, to deal with the fact that the, the sub just really wasn't keeping up. And then, and you know, and they was causing delays to all the other subs trying to input their data. And so, yeah, it can be a mess if the, if the sub, the bonded sub is not, um, you know, up to speed on it. Yeah, and something the underwriters to know is, is that there is a lot of third-party BIM consultants out there that are working for the HVAC, electrical, plumbing contractors, and others, you know, to kind of do the modeling for them with it. And it works out great. 
So those those players are out there to kind of assist with that. But that's definitely, like, say, an underwriting question. Like, do you have this capability you know, to, to do this? And similarly, we've seen it on the GC side, where the GC, who's supposed to be the quarterback of this software, where they're not doing their job as well. So it kind of goes both ways, too, with it. Um, so, Mike, I, with that, I just have a couple of quick takeaways. Uh, number one, um, despite popular belief, and maybe everyone did understand this, but with this pandemic, you know, we, this time last year, we were a bit of an unknown, but it looks like technology actually took off in the construction industry. And we really, like we grew, we're saying, we did three years worth of work in about one year, both in adaptation and some of our technology advances. And there's still a lot of um, private equity money being pumped into these construction technology companies. And with that stated, it's here to stay. And our contractors, they, they got to learn to adapt with the younger force coming in. Um, they're going to have to really step it up and, and embrace it and uh, work with their workforce to kind of take on some of these challenges. Yeah, and I think surety uh, companies are going to too. Surety companies are going to have to get up to speed on a lot of this stuff, too. Okay. Uh, 100%. Before I open up the before I open up the line for any questions, I want to let everyone know the next edition of Surety Today will be on Monday, May 10th at 1230. Uh, as everyone probably knows, the uh, ABA FSLC spring meeting was canceled, uh, but, but the Philadelphia Surety Claims Association will be holding its annual golf outing on June 7th at the Ballot Golf Course in Philadelphia. There's going to be a barbecue outdoor dinner following the outing uh, if you're interested or in the area. Um, come on over. Uh, the, the PSCA does a great job on that golf outing. Uh, again, thank you so much to everyone for joining us today. And thank you, Dennis, for all your insights and expertise today. Uh, now let me open up the line real quick. Okay, line's open. If we have any questions for Dennis, now's the time. Hello, hello. Any Funny, questions? Mike, I, I, go, go ahead, Dennis. No, I'm saying I grew up with a bunch of siblings and um, – you know, I have a bunch of kids now, and I'm not used to getting the floor and just talking without being interrupted for that long. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. All wow. right, everybody. Uh, have a good week and a good month, and we'll, we'll talk to you again uh, in May. Thank you for listening to this episode of Surety Today. Audio recordings and white papers from prior episodes are available on the Surety Today page of the Wright, Constable, and Skeen website at wcslaw.com backslash surety-today.